Hey everybody, you're listening to the show before the show, and I'm Armando Torres. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Andrea Casetta! Yay! And we've got a great episode for you. It's going to be Paige's week again, because we're working on something real nice. Nice! But before that, we've got some news and reviews. So first up, we are doing another live show. Yes! Live. We just did our live show in San Diego, California at the Comedy Palace. It was amazing. It was so great to meet you guys. It was so great to do the show again. I had an absolute blast. But we're taking our show home to Los Angeles area, and we're doing it at Geeky Teas and Games in Burbank, California. Woo, woo, woo! Our live show is taking place on August 27th, which is a Tuesday, but it is also the two-year anniversary of Cult Podcast. Yay! It's our birthday! Yeah! Show will be at 7.30 p.m. You can get tickets online at Cult Podcast Show slash Burbank for $10, or you can get them on the day of the show for $15 at the door, but we highly recommend getting them in advance. It's going to be a blast. It's a cool venue with comic books and a cat rescue, so you can see kittens or kitties, and then we also will have cake because it's our birthday. Yeah, so come on out. But before we start this episode, we've got another five-star review. Five whole stars. This one comes to us from Ham354. I love Ham. And it says, this podcast is a chad. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. 85% of this is centered around cults. 10% of it are attempts to create songs out of the sex lives of cult leaders. 5% is social commentary. 5% is everyone roasting Mondo. Wait, that's more that's, is that? 5% is an acid trip. I was like, is that 105%? Alright, let's see. 85, 95, 100, 105, 110. They're giving 110% in this review. That's right, that's right. Here's the thing, if you're on acid, 110 is the full percent. (laughs) (laughs) It is a splendid combination. If you want to learn about the history, mentality, and demise of famous cults in a way that combats depressing subjects with humor, this podcast is perfect for you. On that note, Mondo may be a marshmallow of a human being, but that does not mean he deserves to be roasted. Please and thank you, listeners. (laughs) That's so sweet. Thank you, Ham354. Sorry. Sorry, Ham. I almost got your name wrong. (laughs) And without any further ado, welcome to the show. Hello. 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 Don't drink the Kool-Aid. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always, these are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have... Andrea Gazzetta! Yay! And it's my week again! Because Armando's gearing up for a big one next week. Yep, yep, yep. This is one of the first times in a long time where you guys don't know what we're talking about today. I have no idea. Not Actually, at all. that's not very fair because I often don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> So, uh, I originally planned to do something else, uh, and then went to go look up the file for it a couple days ago and realized that it had been sent to cultpodcast at gmail.com. So cultpodcastshow at gmail.com, please. Um, somebody else got to it first. We won't say who, and I'm not like an internet detective, but I've done a lot of research. Yeah. (laughs) Whoever did it, there's certainly not any psychiatrists. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. So today we are talking about the creativity movement. Oh. What is this? So here's the thing. It's a creativity movement. La- duh. <laughs> yeah, duh. Is that like a, is that like a, a, a poop but it's got glitter in it? Oh, like a bowel <laughs> movement. <laughs> That's a good guess. Um, these people are shitty. So, hey. You know, hey. Uh, last week, we talked about Nazis, and it was very sad. Mm-hmm. So, this week, I wanted to have us talk about some neo-Nazis that we could definitely make fun of. Oh. Yeah. So, fun. 
This is going to be an interesting one. So our sources for today are the Southern Poverty Law Center, the Anti-Defamation League, CreativityMovement.net, CultEducationInstitute.com, Rick Ross, Rick Ross uh, CreativityAlliance.com, and an eBay listing for a vintage wall-mounted can electric can opener. Uh, that'll what? be important later. <laughs> what? What? You know that your girl likes to go hunting for stuff. I know this isn't what happened, but I want somebody to be like, well, this can opener sucked, but also the year was 1812. (laughs) (laughs) So the creativity movement was formed in 1973, initially under the name Church of the Creator. Uh, The adherents believe that race, not religion, is the embodiment of absolute truth and that the white race is the highest expression of culture, civilization, and deity. Jews and non-whites are considered... Quote, mud races who conspire to subjugate whites. Okay. Does this explain why I want to take a mud bath? I mean, I hear they're delightful. It's probably why your skin is so much nicer than ours. Um, Moisturized. Yeah, it's because of all I do nothing. I do absolutely nothing. It's really upsetting how nice his skin is. I have a dog shit uh, fucking... Uh, like skincare routine. I do nothing. And My it face works. looks like the craters of the moon. <laughs> <laughs> and Armando's over here like, I woke up like this. <sighs> but yeah, I think it's just deeply upsetting that anyone's like, well, the white races are being subjugated. It's like, bitch, you're going to countries and just killing people and taking their shit all the goddamn time. Stop that. Also, I mean, like, this is pre-Harry Potter and they're basically calling people mudbloods. And I'm just like, God. Oh, shit. Guys, fuck. No chill. So let's get started with the man who originally founded this cult. So Ben Classen was born February 20th, 1918. You ever notice okay. how people who have to put class in their name usually have none yeah i did notice that yeah it's just like fancy ketchup (laughs) (laughs) a lot of people (laughs) yep so ben classen was born february 20th 1918 in rudnervid now rosivika in modern day ukraine uh to his parents bernard and Susanna classen who were ukrainian mennonite christians all right so that's this a lot of words to say. Didn't is, fuck nice. It's a, <laughs> it's a lot of words to say like European butter churner. Yeah. But so this is actually really important to the story. So Ukrainians culturally are an Eastern Slavic ethnic group native to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, I also learned that Ukraine is the seventh largest country in Europe by population. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't see that one coming either. Yeah, but not by size. Yeah, f- definitely. There's jam-packed in there. So, uh, hating Slavic people is known as anti-Slavism or Slavophobia, and anti-Slavism reached its highest peak during World War II, when Nazi Germany de- declared that Slavs, specifically the neighboring Polish people, were subhuman and planned to exterminate them along with the Jews. So this dude is a neo-Nazi with Slavic heritage. Like, how either dumb or ignorant can you be that you're just like, yeah, I know that these people tried to murder all of my people because they didn't think we were white enough, but I think we're white enough and none of y'all are. My uncle is a Trump supporter, so, you know... But he sometimes people the white one or the Mexican one the Mexican one what the fuck so sometimes people just uh, completely abandon their uh, self interest because they're so indoctrinated into a belief system that is such a weird like does he do they know he's Slavian he he knows he's Slavic and he starts this Slavic. whole shit okay it's uh it's really the whole you know. Me, but everyone that's not me, you know? I guess. I mean, it would be like if I went online and was just like, oh, fat girls. And it's like, you are one. We can see it. (laughs) Like, what's wrong with you? So I found that to be pretty interesting. Uh, He has two brothers and two sisters. And when he was about nine months old, he almost died of typhoid fever. Oh, shit. So, like, God, next time, finish the job. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
he claims that his earliest memories were of the famine in 1921 to 1922. Yeah. That'd be after World War One. So Germany, after losing World War One and all of the surrounding countries that they had been stationed in, for example, Serbia and Ukraine, went through a really, really bad economic downturn after World War One. The f- of Remembering a famine is hard because, like, most people's first memory is playing with a toy that's like, the cow goes moo, the chicken goes caca. But him, his first memory is like, the cow goes, it's dead. The pigs go, they're also dead. The potatoes are dying. We need to leave. <laughs> One of my first memories was the 1989 earthquake. Really? Fun fact, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. One of my first memories is when I stopped liking hot dogs and exercised my will. What? I was like three and my mom kept putting hot dogs in my macaroni and cheese and I was like, I'm not about this mother. That's my first memory. <laughs> the Andrea goes, no more, mother. <laughs> the Andrea goes, not dogs. <laughs> Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. Noted if I ever make you mac and cheese. just cut that out. No, no, that stays. I just thought it was funny. I was like, why is my first memory like me exercising my will? Mine is my mother running down the hallway to pick me up off the floor and run out to the driveway during an earthquake. Yours is hot. (laughs) I don't even fully remember this morning. Look, equally traumatic experiences. very, very. (laughs) Um, So... Uh, the reason he remembers this is he remembers his father rationing him one slice of dark bread for dinner. So that's why he doesn't like dark things. <laughs> oh! Oh! And keto. He hates keto. I had to eat this bread every day. <laughs> I will never go to the Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> I don't think that's a proper Ukrainian accent, but that's what I got in my wheelhouse. Yeah, I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> so allegedly... Uh, He was first introduced to religion as a concept around the age of three or four, and at the time it would have been Christian Mennonite. Mm -hmm. Um, When he was five, the family moved to Mexico. What? what? Where they lived for a year. Not much else is known about that. Just Uh, one year? Just one year. He probably got beat up there. That's what happened. They're like, you have weird underwear. And uh, you keep wearing these bonnets. I can't you have give this you Outback Steakhouse bread. <laughs> I can't give you a wedgie with your special underwear. Oh. The gringo goes, ow. <laughs> In 1925, at the age of six, his whole family moved to Herschel, Saskatchewan, Canada. What the fuck is... Who, who is their, their trip advisor? <laughs> it's that gnome. <laughs> he always gives shitty advice. Well, also, it's they're really doing the ring around America of just yeah. like, okay, how do we get into America? Right. In Saskatchewan, he attended a a German-English academy known as Rosthern Junior College. So I think this is where some of that nationalism comes from. What a community college. Oh, it's going to get way (laughs) crazier. Okay. It's just nice to know that nothing's changed and that Nazis usually end up at community college. Um, I want you to know that later on in this episode, the Southern Poverty Law Center throws the most hilarious shade I have ever seen, and I am going to direct quote them on it, and it will make that even funnier. That's amazing. Okay. Is Canada... The Hufflepuff of North America. A hundred percent. Why are we even asking? Okay. I'm just asking because I was like, underrated, nicer, more welcoming and accepting, and everyone who America won't take goes there. And honestly, the true savior. (laughs) Yeah. 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 America always thinks it's Gryffindor, but we're secretly Slytherin. Yeah. So, um, he basically missed World War II entirely. So I missed guys. Damn it! Uh, Why didn't you wait for me? So, because he's in North America at the time, mostly Canada. Mm-hmm. He wasn't really old enough to fight, so he didn't fight. But basically, any Nazi nationalism that would have been adopted, mm-hmm. he doesn't get. Especially because he's Slavic, they would have killed him anyway. What? What year did he move to Mexico? They moved to Mexico in 1924. So he was... He was six. Six years old? And then when did he move to Canada? 1925. So he was seven. Oh, no, I'm sorry. They moved to Mexico and he was five. 
and okay. moved to Canada when he was six. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that's such a, wow. I'm just, uh, this is the other thing that I'm trying to figure out is like, this, there's another thing too that we'll get into when we talk about Nazism and Nazis with uh, Adolf Hitler is that they, historians are trying to pinpoint the moment that he started hating Jews and they can't find it. They don't yeah. know when it happened. Right. And so we're trying now to find like this guy's thing. And and I don't have it for you. Okay. Like I wish I did. I wish there was a thing I could pinpoint, but I really can't. Yeah. Um the bulk of what we know about him doesn't really start till he becomes an adult. We know a little bit about his childhood, but basically from like middle school onward, we don't know anything until as an adult he chooses to move to Los Angeles. Hey. <laughs> hey. All we, yeah, at this point, all we know about him is that he spent most of his childhood uh, in two different countries that say A, but in different ways. Right, right, right. He was in Mexico, and they were like, A, fool. And then he moved to Canada, and they were like, fool, A. <laughs> Orale. Um, so... <laughs> that's Los Angeles. That's the best <laughs> Canadian accent I've ever heard. Thank you. Orale. A. Orale. Orale. Okay. Once he got to Los Angeles, he actually established a real estate firm and he <laughs> he partnered with another realtor, um, but he believed that his partner was a drinker and a gambler. And so he bought him out and became a sole proprietor, making him a pretty wealthy real estate owner. Look, man, I'm going to be straightforward with you. I think you're gambling. I think you're drinking. And this, I can't stand for that. This is a classy Nazi establishment. We're <laughs> this only is a the- no fun zone. <laughs> <laughs> we we only like things that are white, not red or black, <laughs> like whiskey and roulette tables. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ben Klassen, and I run Whites Only Realty. We service one neighborhood in Los Angeles. <laughs> Do you want a house? Come on down. <laughs> Come to Chatsworth. <laughs> if I sell this house. Give me three months. (laughs) So uh, at this point, because he had expanded his business, he actually hired several salesmen um, and they convinced him that he should go buy land and develop it in a place where people hadn't bought a ton of land yet, which was Nevada. Okay. 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 So this was actually a really huge time for developing land and establishing land ownership in Nevada. Las Vegas was basically new. So the region was colonized by the Spanish in 1821. You know, go in, murder the locals, whole deal. Yeah. Uh, they the classic Spaniards. Classic Spaniards. Uh, they named the region Las Vegas, and Mormon missionaries followed soon after in 1855 to attempt to... to <laughs> As usual. No, it's just like... we. How many times has this exact pattern happened on an episode? Like five? It's just like if you went to a party and then somebody broke down the door and just started beating everyone in the face and taking all of the snacks. And then like the next guy to walk in the door was like, Howdy, folks. How you doing? On my way... On my way driving here today, I drove past a whole bunch of people dressed in nice church clothes and umbrellas going door to door. And I was like, who the fuck are these assholes? And it was my neighbors. Oh, God. So, <laughs> um, yeah, the Mormons showed up and they tried to convert the local Paiute tribe mm-hmm. somewhat successfully. We Not covered, really. We covered this in the uh, ghost uh, dance. In the ghost dance episode. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's where it's, I mean, methods questionable. Lots of people died. It's not great. At that point, there still wasn't much there. Um, A small town was incorporated in 1905 after the railroad from Los Angeles to Salt Lake City was built basically directly through that land. Uh, But it was still only farms. They incorporated as a town officially in 1911, but again, farms. It wasn't until 1931 and this is part of the way through World War II, mm-hmm. when the Hoover Dam started construction. About 10 to 15 years after that is when Klassen started buying land. So at that point, so like 1940-ish, they're building the dam, it's almost done, and there's nothing else there except a tiny town. And so he starts buying up land in Silver Springs, which mm-hmm. is north. And the mob starts buying up the land in Los An- or in Las Vegas. <laughs> They buy up all of it, and they basically own Las Vegas until 1966 when Howard Hughes buys them out. Okay. 
So, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, and so this guy bought north. He basically bought enough land to establish a town. So he allegedly established the town of Silver Springs, Nevada, with the Silver Springs Land Company, which did have silver mines and stuff on it. Um, so in 1952, after founding an actual town and city with all the land that he owned, he sold his share of the company for $150,000. Like, like he sold a town for a third of what it costs to buy a shanty shack in Los Angeles today. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so crazy. Hi, now, I'm Ben Classen. <laughs> if you want my land, you can give me a smoothie for it. I don't care. <laughs> I'll take anything. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the population today of Silver Springs is only about 5,000 people as of the 2010 census. So okay. it's been 10 years, probably more than that. Um, it does have its own reservoir, a state recreation area, and Fort Churchill State Historic Park. And the area does have its own airport. But it's what, a pretty small town. What is the recreation area? What is that? Um, I feel like that's just where they have Nazi meetings. No, oh, okay. I, I don't know. It's it's just like a, a gym and park and Oh, stuff like that. okay. I thought they just like for the entire place they just had one room and it was like, We got a pool table. <laughs> we got two ping pongs, but we only have one paddle. Um, we got a soda machine, but it only sells Mr. Pib. Oh my god. We have a pool table, but it's all the cue ball. <laughs> just Mr. Pib and warm fresco. Oh god. Oh no. So, on March 26, in 1956, about four years later, he filed an application with the U.S. Patent Office to patent a wall-mounted electric can opener, which he marketed as Can Electric. <laughs> uh, he actually created a company to sell Can Electric called Class and Enterprise Incorporated, but other competitors were able to build this can opener or similar ones smaller and cheaper. So the company basically folded in 1962. Uh, I found a can electric on eBay. Okay. It most recently sold for $39.99, $22.50 for shipping, because it's literally the size of a coffee maker and it's solid metal. Jeez. Like, can you imagine have devoting countertop space to something that only opens cans? Here's the thing. Yes. If you think an atom bomb is going to wipe you out, that's the can opener you need. That's a good yeah. point. Except that it's electric. So if you don't have any electricity, it's useless. Ooh. God damn it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ben Classen, and I have this big as fuck can opener. Do you feel inadequate about your dick? Get a big can opener. <laughs> Do you this only got one ball? Big ass can opener. Have you ever, like, because they're not popular now. Like, when I worked at Sur La Table, we hadn't carried them in years, and uh -huh. only old people would ask for them. <laughs> But back in the 70s and 80s, I do remember still seeing them around electric can openers and you like hold the can up to it and then it like snatches the can and spins it and it has a very yeah. distinct noise. Uh, it's basically that, but it's the uh, like the original of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's huge and clunky. You feel bad for selling that land in Nevada so cheaply? Big ass can <laughs> Big opener. Big ass can opener. I do think it's funny how much... Like, in, in so many parts of our society, we've moved forward and everything's electric, everything's online. Can openers, backwards. We're just yeah. like, fuck this big shit. Yeah, we tried to yeah. make it the future and we were like, nah, I'll just use a knife in my hand. <laughs> yeah, like, who's opening this many cans? So at that point, he decided to go into politics. Oh, As God. you do. So he served Broward County in the Florida House of Representatives from November 1966 to March 1967. He moved to Florida? Yeah, and he ran on an anti-government platform. <laughs> so he really is going full Slytherin here. <laughs> He's the most ridiculous person on earth. Uh, he campaigned for election uh, to the Florida Senate in 1967, but was defeated. And so that same year, he was the vice chairman of a campaign organization in Florida that supported George Wallace for president. I think we've mentioned George Wallace briefly, but just in case we don't remember, a little bit of a primer. Uh, he was the 45th governor of Alabama, okay. a position that he had for four terms during which he promoted mostly industrial development, low taxes and trade schools, standard. 
Uh, he sought the United States presidency as a Democrat three times. This is also one of those cases where the parties have now flipped. Uh-huh. And what used to be a Democrat is now very much a Republican. Uh, and at one point, he left the Democratic Party and joined the American Independent Party, which is hardcore conservative. Yeah. Uh, unsuccessfully, basically each time. He didn't. He lost every time he ran. He's best remembered for his staunch segregationist and populist views. He was known as the most dangerous racist in America. He opposed desegregation and supported the Jim Crow policies during the civil rights movement. In his 1963 inaugural address, or essentially what would have been had he been Mm -hmm. elected, He stood for segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. (laughs) Also, the weirdest part about George Wallace's campaign is that his campaign manager, instead of giving out little buttons, gave out huge-ass can openers. (laughs) Here's the thing. You get a free can opener, but you have to pick it up in person. Shipping is way too expensive. (laughs) If you register to vote, you get a free can opener. Also, if you open an account at this bank, maybe I'll give you my new toaster. Hey, George, it's me, Ben, in class. I gotta tell you, these big-ass can openers, not selling well. (laughs) Also, I got two jobs mixed up, and I was supposed to kiss a baby, but instead, I put it on a big-ass can opener. (laughs) Long story short, no more baby. So, at that point... Big-ass can openers now, big-ass can openers tomorrow. (laughs) Big-ass can can openers forever. Um, So, at this point... Classen decided that politics was not for him anymore, and he joined a staunchly conservative social society called the John Birch Society. I thought you were going to say a gym. I mean, basically. A gym crow? Oh! At one point, he even operated an American opinion bookstore, which is just a racist-ass Nazi bookstore, is all that is. (laughs) Uh, But he became disillusioned with the society that he had joined because he said they were too tolerant towards Jews. Seems like they're too tolerant towards towards Slavs is what they are. For real. Uh, In November 1970, along with uh, a man named Austin Davis, he created the Nationalist White Party. And the party's platform was directed at white Christians. It was explicitly religious and racial. When is this? 1970. So this is right around the time the clan is getting back up again. And we will run into some clan members in just a bit. Interesting. Okay. Imagine yes. you're part of the white nationalist... What's it called? The party. Ho- the white nationalist party. Yeah. Okay. And it's Christmas. Okay. And you want to do a white elephant gift. <laughs> but every gift is just a copy of Mein Kampf or... A Nazi flag. <laughs> and just everyone opens it and it's a can opener because everyone's just trying to get rid of their giant can openers. <laughs> wow, I wonder who my secret Santa was, Ben. <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs> so it's super racial in nature, and they're they have a fourteen point program for oh. their party. Uh, it starts with we believe that the white race was created in the image of the Lord. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Just want to say Jesus was Middle Eastern. I just, like, I want to put it out there. Jewish, born in the Middle East. Yeah, probably looks a lot more like I do. Yeah, not white. Not white. Uh, The logo of their party was a giant W with a crown and a halo over it. Okay. That's that's a little much. Going far. Uh, And that same logo would be used three years later as the logo for the Church of the Creator when Ben started it. So less than a year after starting the Nationalist White Party, uh, he decided that he didn't really feel cool with Christianity anymore, maybe because it worships a Jewish guy. I mean, who thought? Those letters were not well received by the rest of the party. And so the party basically disbanded. So in 1973... That's when Klassen founded the Church of the Creator by publishing a small book called Nature's Eternal Religion. 
individual church members are called creators and the religion they practice is called creativity, which is the least creative name for a sect called creativity. This reminds me of the time that uh, in art school, our neighbors upstairs were engineering students and they had a class at their engineering school called uh, creative thinking. <laughs> and I was like, hey, what do you do in that class? And they're like, well, we have to read this book. And then we take a multiple choice test about it. <laughs> and I was like, so creative. Yeah. And how to be creative. And they're like, yeah, this is how engineers do creativity. Cool, 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 cool. So this, this is that equivalent. Oh, yeah, 100%. Hey, what do you do in your creative uh, thinking class? Well, I basically just think of ways to make can openers bigger. <laughs> and <laughs> so, heavier somehow. Imagine like a do. car, but it opens cans. <laughs> the real way that that can opener killed the baby is it just fell on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just guys, blunt force trauma. Guys, it's me, Ben. I have a confession to make. The reason my can openers are so big is because they're not actually electronic. I put people in them. <laughs> I got another confession to make. I open cans. That's it. It's so just, the can opener is the R2-D2 yeah. of can openers. It just yeah. pretends to be a robot, but it's like, beep, boop, pop. Fucking come on, come on. <laughs> That's not very polite. <laughs> Some of my beads are missing. It's all I he just put, he put, that's how he solved the homeless problem. He just put him in can openers. I'm just like, hey man, you know how to open a can, right? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's perfect. So in 1982, he established the headquarters of his church in Otto, North Carolina. He also at the same time uh, allegedly established a school for boys where their curriculum was a two week summer program that included activities like hiking, camping, training and handling of firearms, archery, tennis, whitewater rafting, and other healthy act- outdoor White activities. Whitewater rafting. It's, it's yeah. just Hitler uses all it is. I won't go on any other color water rafting. <laughs> if Here's the thing. If you guys are playing racist state bingo, you should be doing well right now. Oh, for sure. we've covered Nevada. Florida, Florida, Alabama, Alabama North, North Carolina. Carolina in the 70s. <laughs> like, it's bad. So. Did they, what about the other classes? Because I heard they had a class called How to Not Get Fucked Over in Nevada on property. <laughs> they did have a class called The Goals and Doctrines of Creativity and How They Could Best Serve Their Own Race in Various Capacities of Leadership. Hey, man, are you going to third period, The Goals and Doctrines of Creativity and How to Let It Not, the rest of the title? <laughs> I'm it, flunking that class. Here's the thing. Problem? The title doesn't fit on my binder. I can never figure out which binder I'm supposed to bring. Oh, man. So it didn't attract many followers initially. Really? <laughs> you huh. don't say. Uh, but by the late 80s, increasing numbers of white supremacists all over the country were drawn to his Nazi-like belief system. And we've seen this in a bunch of other groups around the same time. It's not uncommon. Um, he wrote a whole series of books, and that's kind of how people were getting hooked. They were traded at gun shows, things like that. God, that's always I what know. happens with these fucking idiots. So, I, honest to God, I think the reason books spread so much is because none of them can fucking read, and they're just too afraid of not of being found out as a fraud. <laughs> hey, did you read that book I gave you? Yeah, man, totally. What did it? Yeah, well, like, what did it say? What did you think it said? And somebody's just like, yeah, I think it says that all everyone that's not white is bad. And he's like, yeah, 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 that totally. Oh, yeah. I loved it, yep. loved it, man. Also, I say books, but a lot of them are like pamphlets at best. Yeah, yeah. they have a lot of illustrations in them. So, uh, the, the white man goes Heil. <laughs> So, obviously, the first one is Nature's Eternal Religion, which he had written back in the 70s. But then he also has Rahoa, This Planet is All Ours, and The White Man's Bible, which I feel is just a book of bland potato salad recipes and directions on how to iron khakis. (laughs) He also wrote Clifford the Big White Dog. (laughs) Very weird. Ghost dog. Um, As I mentioned, creativity followers call themselves creators and they take the calls for Rahoa or racial holy war R-A-H-O-W which fucking stupid. Are they just using CB radios to answer the call of white supremacy? (laughs) I mean it sounds like it so it's like Smokey and the Bandit but worse oh no. Yeah so they started thinking that Rahoa was a very literal concept they started committing violent hate crimes. God damn it. 
So one of the reverends, a man named George Loeb, was convicted of a racially motivated murder of a man named Harold Mansfield Jr., who was a black sailor, a black sailor and Gulf War veteran in Mayport, Florida in 1991. In 1993, eight more individuals with ties to the church were arrested in Southern California for plotting to bomb a black church in L.A. and assassinate Rodney King, who, if you aren't familiar, was videotaped being beaten by police, which kicks off the L.A. riots. Mm -hmm. uh, later on that same year, a man named Jeremiah, and I, his last name is K-N-E-S-A-L, Nessal? Knessel? It's pronounced can opener. Great. <laughs> uh, he was found with weapons, ammunition, and hate literature in his car, and he later con he later confessed to his involvement in a July 1993 firebombing of an NAACP office in Tacoma, Washington. Well, well, well. What do we got here? Copies Mein of the Kampf. Turner Diaries. Mein, mein Kampf, Kampf, the Turner Diaries, Clifford the Big White Dog. <laughs> You're going away for a long, long time. time. Can, can, can opener. Why is this backpack so heavy? <laughs> oh, it's books... Oh, and a can opener. Okay. So in 1992, in anticipation of a civil lawsuit by the Southern Poverty Law Center, mm -hmm. uh, in connection with the murder of uh, Mr. Mansfield, Klassen sold most of his North Carolina compound at a fire sale price to William Pierce. This guy stays getting fucked over he, on property. He's well, so dumb. But you remember William Pierce, the founder and leader of the neo-Nazi National mm -hmm. Alliance. He's come up in, like, every white supremacy episode we do, pretty much. After searching for a successor to lead his group, Klassen uh, decided to choose a man named Richard Rick McClarty and then committed suicide in 1993 by swallowing four bottles of sleeping pills. Oh. What? Yeah. Why? Um, I think he saw, I think he was afraid he was going to serve jail time okay. for some of the murders. What a weird fucking life this guy's had of just like living in pretty much every U.S. state, it seems yeah. like. And then every country in North America. Exactly. Now, his successor failed to defend the church in the lawsuit that the Southern Poverty Law Center brought on behalf of Mansfield's family. As a result, they were awarded a $1 million default judgment, meaning the church was now completely bankrupt, although Mansfield's family would never really see that money. Uh, later, the Southern Poverty Law Center also sued William Pierce, who had immediately resold the land at an $85,000 profit, um, they sued him for engaging in a scheme to defraud Mansfield's estate. So a lot of that money did go to Mansfield, which was nice. Huh. In 1995, the organization came back to life under the leadership of a man named Matt Hale. So Matt was an avowed racist from an early age, and he discovered the church in the 1990s while going to school at Bradley University in Illinois near his home. I almost went to that school. Did you? Yeah. I like how they said he was a devout racist from a young age, which makes me just think, like, oh, his first word was a racial slur. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I mean, it was hell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, joining the group in 1995, he seized control in 1996, changing the name of the church to the World Church of the Creator, and he adopted a new title for himself, Pontifex Maximus. What? <laughs> Fucking nerd. It sounds like a Transformer that turns into a shitty Pontiac. <laughs> And I do want to quote directly the Southern Poverty Law Center for this next paragraph. Well, beginning of the paragraph. Uh, they said he was unusually well educated for a neo-Nazi. <laughs> 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 Which is basically just being like, normally these people are pretty dumb. But like... All right. Yeah, racists are not the smartest people. Yeah, this guy's, I mean, again, I don't know if you could call this smart, but he ultimately earned a law degree in the late 1990s, and he somehow managed to revitalize the organization, even though it had collapsed after Klassen's death. Okay, I don't know where my Latin head's at, but real quick. Yes. Pontificus is Latin, so it, like we have the word in English, pontificate. Which right. basically means to express one's opinions in a way considered annoyingly pompous or dogmatic. 
Yeah. And then he's the most that? Yeah. Well, and it, like, that's the name he chose well, for himself. He, he, it was Pontifex, which, oh. but it comes from the same Latin root. So it just means, like, I think, like, main speaker is it, basically what it, highest priest is what it translates to. They also, the, the Nazis in America are uh, notoriously real. bad with their Latin. <laughs> yeah. And they hate Latin people. Um, well, I mean, the, the, the Nazi people in America are uh, very well known for taking things that most people think of as an insult and turning it into their like new thing like the American Nazi party like we covered in a previous episode he was anti-semitic and then they started calling him a nazi and then he was like fuck it then i'm a nazi and then just went like dressed up as a hitler youth and was like ooh <laughs> i'm a nazi now and then yeah. uh yeah so he did it as like you know the the old fashioned like oh we call Democrats jackasses so they took the donkey and made it their logo. That's kind of what the Nazis and racists did. Yeah, but you just you can't take back not you know like you can't yeah. be like we're the good ones. Oh, they're not <laughs> taking it back. They're just like somebody called them a Nazi like, and he was like in. fuck it then I'm a Nazi. Yes. Yeah. If that's what's gonna get your attention, so they're they're I'm not defending them either. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that they're very well known for taking things that people would normally use as an insult and making it like their title. So it could be it could be that he knew it also could be that he didn't know and that he chose something that sounded sort of smart-ish and cool to him. Anyway, regardless of why he chose it, he took the organization from only having 14 chapters in 1996 to having 88 chapters in 2002. God damn it. That's a novella. <laughs> Uh, is that what the whole 88 thing is about? No, it's no. completely unrelated. It's a coincidence. Mm. Um, but... Uh, that made it the largest neo-Nazi group as far as number of chapters in America at the time. He also built up their web presence in the late 1990s, <laughs> and he proved to be pretty good at getting on TV for publicity in a number of occasions. <laughs> I want to see that sweet 1990s website with the graphics. GeoCities. Oh, you think that's cool? Check this out. Click. <laughs> it's just the white white it's just the uh the swastika just like spinning that's your cursor <laughs> yeah just playing morrissey just over and over again the other thing that i like is that you said that he brought the chapters up to 88 which she uh andrea pointed out is like a nazi thing yeah you think it's like do you think he did it like where where I did like one time I reached like something like sixty nine followers and I was like all right no more none no more well that was like we got at one point we had sixty nine followers in the Facebook group and everyone was like close the group like don't <laughs> let anyone else in uh, I was no. excited when we got to four twenty <laughs> that was pretty funny it was pretty fun. Oh, man. I also like the fact that he's pretty good at getting on TV. Yeah. And what I'm imagining is he's just, like, running out. He just He's just stalking the streets trying to find uh, news teams doing a story. He's just, just following Geraldo in a van. <laughs> he's <laughs> jumping up, in front. Runs up behind the camera and is just like, hey, come visit my website. We got Axel F. <laughs> and also we hate everyone. <laughs> come to my website. Sorry, it was the 90s. Uh, So... The real truth of it was, though, he had actually spent most of his entire life living in his retired father's two-story house in Illinois, operating the entire organization out of his upstairs bedroom that he had painted red to depict the blood of the white race, which, by the way everyone's blood is red. (laughs) Like, it's blue until it touches the outside, and then it's red. It's not like different races have different blood. He's an idiot. Okay, son, you know, I know that you have your little projects, but it would be nice if, you know, you you started a family of your own. Dad, you just don't understand, okay? It's really big. I have something really big happening, okay? I'm kind of a big deal in certain communities, and you know, respect that. Get out of my room, Dad! And then he slams the door and from behind here. So... In addition to that, he never really held a serious job. He wore a Hitler wristwatch. Oh, God. What? Wait. Yeah, this is very similar to that dude. Because for a second, I was like, is this the same dude? Have we read the same dude? Uh, He used an Israeli flag as a doormat outside his room. 
And he kept a collection of teddy bears on his bed. Of course he did. Of fucking course he did. So he did eventually marry twice, uh, but neither marriage lasted more than a few months. Were they his cousins? I mean, I think they were just the bears. Yeah. (laughs) Drink the tea, Mrs. Fuzzy Bottom. Uh, So he would tell reporters that he had as many as 80,000 followers, but that was not the case at all. He had several hundred, but not 88,000. Um, so he's like an influencer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he received national publicity for a web page he put up that was meant to recruit young children. Um, but he admitted later that it was a publicity stunt. Was it starring his teddy bears? I think it basically was. Those teddy bears have seen things. Ooh. Why do you think she's called Fuzzy Bottom? By things, oh. do you mean thing? He's only got one ball, like Hitler. <gasps> no, I'm kidding. Wait, oh. That's, that's, oh, I'm I wish so it was true. Um, he would occasionally get on NBC's Today. Um, and at one point, he was dubbed the face of hate in America. But what the reality was is that he was depicting himself as this red hot leader and would end up on TV. But most of the time, he just lectured in tiny library rooms with police escorts because people wanted him dead. Yeah. And so a lot of people would basically say that he was rescuing the white race one library at a time. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) It was just so small. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on your TV show. I just want to say it's good to be on NBC Today, NBC Tomorrow, NBC Forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... Even then, his group attracted a number of violent people, obviously. In 1999, a man named Ben Smith, who was a close friend, uh, left two non-whites dead and nine others wounded in Illinois and Indiana after a shooting spree that was spurred by the refusal of the Illinois Bar Association to let Hale pass the bar. Because even though he had a law degree, he kept being refused by the bar where he would pass the test and they'd be like, yeah, but you're not morally fit to be a lawyer. Yeah, good So call. multiple states refused him. So uh, I believe Montana as well refused him. Um, this is the great state of Montana and we have morals. Yeah. We have pride. We have cows Literally three cows for each one person. I'm not even, I live in Montana. I'm not even sure where we are on a map, but even <laughs> we're too good for you. Uh, another one of his followers was convicted in 2002 in a plot to blow up landmarks on the East Coast. Most of his followers were concentrated in Florida. <laughs> I wonder why. (laughs) Yeah. And many have been arrested for aggregated assault, armed robbery, witness intimidation, and attempted murder. Um, And while he did have a lot of public notoriety, internal conflicts were really destroying them from the inside. After the the shooting rampage in 1999, um, they had tried to claim tax-exempt status, but they failed to register as a charity and failed to, to disclose their finances as required by state law. He claimed that as a church, they weren't required to register, but in 2001, he was ordered to do so. So, even though he appealed his law license and their tax-exempt status, he lost in both cases and also was not able to get a law license in Montana either. In 2001, people started to defect. So, the December of that year, people said that he was a misogynist, which, by the way, if he's a Nazi, that's the least of your worries. Like, yeah, for real. Like, what the fuck? He's, so He's advocating for murder of others, yeah. and they're just like, he doesn't respect. See, yeah. Yeah. He's, he well, keeps uh, calling me babe. Like, he's problem, a Nazi. <laughs> the problem is, is that misogyny is a problem that is rampant inside of the white supremacist community. I mean, it's everywhere, but also, yeah. he's a fucking Nazi. I just mean, like, these numbers... Are t- like, did you know that a racial slur said by a woman is only 77% as hurtful? <laughs> I want to live in a world where a woman can hurt me just as much as a man can. So previously, he had had two female activists that would lead the efforts to recruit women into the church. And they both left to start their own white supremacist sisterhood Is organization. This yeah. Flirty fishing for Nazis? No, because they were recruiting women. They oh, were like, okay. yeah. I know they're Nazis, but like 
they care about women. And they quit, right? That's and they what... both quit and set up their own yeah. white supremacist system. Well, because he kept calling their boobs big-ass can openers. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see a can openers. Openers. Uh, a few months later, he then expelled one of their creators one of their members. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, because they're all called creators. That's they're right. all called creators uh, who were part of their Montana branch and who had helped him take over the organization initially. Um, but he basically claimed that he had sent them money to keep safe after they were sued by the families of the victims of the people that they had killed. And so he was trying to hide money and they apparently lost the money and burned a cabin down oh my god there's not a lot of details but so they were expelled um and then they sent him a letter informing him that he was no longer the church of christian the church of creativity's leader wow and he was just like who cares uh so at one point they founded a rival although pretty short-lived northwest church of the creator um both of these were setbacks because now he's just factioning off um, but the biggest one was a trademark complaint and lawsuit that was brought against him and the Worldwide Church of the Creator by the T-E-T-A-M-A, Titama Truth Foundation, a peace-loving multicultural church in Oregon that supports the family unification of mankind who had the same name. Okay. What? Yes. So, so somebody could just walk into a place in Oregon and be like, yo, this is that Nazi church? And they're like, the opposite. The opposite. Um, and they had actually... Branding, Alan. Branding. Yeah. And they had filed their uh, patent and trademark in 1987, long before he started calling his church the World Church of Creativity in 1996. So they won, which meant that they couldn't use their name anymore it did go to appeal and they lost again so abiding by the appeals decision the judge that overturned it was a judge named joan humphrey lefko i just real quick i just want to imagine a scenario where a racist is going to church and he's like is this place where we hate everyone and they're like you know what? Why don't you sit and join with us? <laughs> and they convert him because yeah. of a name mix-up. Like, that's just really sweet. I love it. I love it. Um, so Judge Lefko is responsible for them losing their name. George Cutco? L- J- Joan Lefko. Oh, Lefko. I'm yeah. sorry. I thought she had knives. <laughs> um, and they were ordered to give up their website domain, <laughs> <laughs> remove or cover up the phrase Church of the Creator on all of their public pr- publications and other products. Um, yeah, they didn't like that. He said, no tyrant's paws will ensnare our holy scriptures. We don't adhere to tyrants. We're Nazis. (laughs) We're Nazis. Um, and so they sent all of their publications to their new world headquarters in Riverton, Wyoming. Uh, but in 2003, he was basically, uh, he was charged with contempt for not showing up to some of the other prior cases and for being very hostile um and, and this he, is the library dweller right this is the library dweller okay, so he's still the leader he's still the leader okay. sort of yeah and he arrived in a courthouse in chicago uh only to be seized by the joint terrorism task force oh god uh for asking his own security chief to assassinate the judge Bitch, okay. Oh, fucking dumb idiot. It turns out that the FBI had seen him as a dangerous threat ever since his follower went on a rampage in 1999. So they had recruited a man named Tony Evola and placed him within the organization as his second in command. And he didn't notice and literally asked that dude to kill a judge. (laughs) It's me, Tony Evola. And I'm going undercover as... Tony Gage! <laughs> I'm here for whatever you need. Need me to kill a judge? I'm your guy. I got it. So a year later, Matt Hale received a 40-year sentence in federal prison. Oof. Hell yeah, dude. The maximum possible sentence for his offense. Um, essentially, the church collapsed after that point. There's only... It went from, like, 
88 chapters in 2002 to five two years after. Well, they just suffered from the Church of Creative Differences. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, one one of the men in Montana decided he was going to go out with a bang and he raided their stash of publications, like their holy books, <laughs> and sold them to a human, like an anti-racist human rights network just to get money. He sold them for like $300. Man, he just cannot get a sale. (laughs) He just jumped ship. It was real crazy. Um, Now, here's the other thing. So, while in prison, Matt Hale's mail is understandably restricted because of his ties to terrorist organizations. And so he sued the FBI for $10 million in damages for them reading his mail. And he lost that suit. So now, even though he's in prison, the FBI is requiring him to pay $5,200 to cover the costs related to them having to litigate the lawsuit. Jesus Christ. Well, that's 632 cigarettes. Exactly. And that's basically the end of the creativity movement, as it is now known today. There's a handful of people that still ascribe to it. But for the most part, it's just these two Nazi fuck-ups. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. The thing that astounds me is that they don't, he doesn't realize that like the FBI, not, well, not necessarily the FBI, but the authorities will go through anyone's mail who's in jail because when you're in jail, you don't have the same rights anymore. Yeah. yeah. They're not going to just let you get a, hey, UPS is here. It says it came from the crowbar store, but I'm not going to look at it because that's a federal offense. This envelope says anthrax seems legit. <laughs> like, they're going to read shit. My, yeah. My favorite is when people try to order hits while in prison. Yeah. And it's just like, we can hear you. Like, yeah. we're listening to this count. Are you serious mm-hmm, right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That shit's so funny. My uncle uh, was in prison and he had a phone Mm -hmm. and he had a Facebook page while in prison. Uh, And at a certain point, what essentially what happened is somebody was like, aren't you afraid that they're going to find you out? And he was like, ain't nobody going to find out about me. And then he was just, uh, his Facebook just stopped being active. And then he eventually got out, and I was like, what happened? He was like, they found out I have Facebook. Yeah, like, I mean, <laughs> to be fair, I should not have friend requested that guard. That was my <laughs> Oh, man. So, Jesus. I think, yeah, I, I like, they're, they're pretty dumb. This is, this is one of the things that is so astounding about Nazis and white supremacists in general. And this is something that we've covered time and time again. And Andrea's uh, made a great point in another episode that we did previously, which is that these people are generally dudes. I'm not trying yeah. to be a misogynist. Women can hate just as much as <laughs> men can. But they're usually dudes who feel inadequate in a thousand different ways that are that have nothing to do with race. Right. And they're just looking for a reason to hate somebody. And it also, like, it brings them together. It brings them community. So you have these, these people who feel terrible and just want to be connected. And the thing about people like that is they have the dumbest lives where they do things. Where it's like if you research about Hitler... The stupidest shit will come up. Yeah. The first guy was a a, a a Polish person who was basically, essentially, a Mexican, and then a Canadian, and then came to America. <laughs> he was Ukrainian, but yeah. okay. Well, yeah, I know, but he still lived in Mexico. <laughs> yes. That makes you a Mexican in my eyes. <laughs> and then he just came to America and was like, hey, you know everything you hate? What's up? Yeah, yeah. Or I guess not to America, but it came to Nazis. It's just so wild. They're just so dumb. That guy lived in his dad's house and was like, well, obviously I'm superior. I'm the master race. But also, uh, if you're going to use the bathroom, let me know. Because I can go to the bathroom first because we've only got one bathroom. Yeah. I just, the thing that's funniest to me is always just how... People need to cling to a concept of superiority yeah, and to blame essentially everyone else for why their life isn't going the way that it should be. Mm -hmm. The concept that like, if I'm doing poorly, it's not my fault. That's a very like incel concept. That's how you get all this hatred is like, well, if I'm not where I should be, it's because 
black people are taking my opportunities or whatever. It's not because I'm not successful because I'm not right working yeah. hard or you know whatever. It's just These like, are, the, are you serious? They're the kinds of guys who can't take responsibility for anything. And I, I mean, yeah. like, they're the, like they're the kind that goes downstairs to their dad's basement and they realize that they accidentally threw in their robes with their Nazi armband, but instead of taking responsibility, they blame their moms. That's this <laughs> kind of person. Well, he didn't have his mom, um, but yeah, the pink-robed clan, real problem. <laughs> yeah, it's just all around. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, it's Nazis being Nazis, and they're the worst. Oh, yeah. I also do like that he was the McDowells to a much more successful, peaceful McDonald's church. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean the church in Oregon? That, yeah. That's He's just like, no, nah, I was here first. And they were like, <laughs> Well, it's nope. kind of like when the World Wildlife Organization sued yeah. the World Wrestling Organization. The, the uh, World Wildlife Federation sued WWF, which was the World Wrestling Federation, uh, and they were like, we just want to bring peace, and you guys are bringing a lot of violence to this thing. And yeah. so they're not allowed, they had, that's why they changed to WWE. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I assumed that that was the same organization. I assumed that pandas were just body checking people. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why there were so few of them, is because Hulk Hogan is body checking pandas and choking about and whatnot. I don't know. Is that how you kill pandas? Is that why we don't have enough pandas? What's happening? It's actually just because, like these uh, American Nazis, they just are not able to fuck. <laughs> pandas are incels. Oh, <laughs> pandas. This is great. This is a great episode of just a bunch of fucking dumb pieces of human garbage. Yeah, they're, they're ridiculous. I was like, this is... Yeah, this is worth it. (laughs) So that one guy committed suicide by taking pills? He took four bottles of pills. Four bottles? Which is way more than you need to take. Well, the thing is, is he only really took two because each time... He didn't open the bottles himself, so he had his can opener do it. And they just kept breaking all the pills. So he really only took about four. (laughs) Jesus Christ, this guy's an idiot. I, uh... Yeah, this is great. I mean, not great. It's weird to... (laughs) describe enjoying listening to stuff about white supremacy there needs to be a word for like deeply excited and morally upset i like to think of it as schadenfreude because i enjoy watching Mm. them feel pain yeah well hey everybody thank you for tuning into this one uh if you want to send me if you want to send me adventure ideas for clifford the big white dog Uh, I was thinking Clifford the Big White Dog goes to the library. Uh, Clifford the Big White Dog finally moves out of his dad's place. Clifford Um, the Big White Dog brings potato salad again. (laughs) Yeah, you can send those to me. Uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Mondo Does Stuff. That's M-A-N-D-O Does Stuff. You can also find my show dates on my website, which is MondoDoesStuff.com. This month on the 21st... Through, I believe, the 25th. That's probably wrong, but I'll be in Fresno, California. You can go on my website, check those out, and come out to a show. If you want to send me one of those countertop can openers, don't. Save yourself the shipping cost. (laughs) But definitely follow me on Instagram at RampageWesley or on Twitter at PageWesley. I love how expensive the shipping is. (laughs) Big-ass can opener. Big-ass shipping cost. Gotta open it in a crate. (laughs) (laughs) Ironically, it'd be easier if you had a can opener. Because it comes in a big-ass can. Hey, guys, this is Andre Gazetta. If you want to sell me your land or property at well below the market value... Hit me up on all the things at Sundress Comic, uh, or check out my art at Andrea Gazetta on Instagram. I love the thought that this guy was just selling houses and, like, if you're a white supremacist, like, what kind of things do you... Like, boy, this baby's got a nice white coat of paint on it. Just, <laughs> yeah, we were thinking about repainting maybe something like, I don't know, like, I think, like, a nice beige or a brown. And he's no, just like, get out. white. Get the, get the fuck has, out of my house. has to be white. Purity. <laughs> I feel like there's always a gray area 
That's pretty good. I think he got into politics because he just wanted to be in the biggest White House. All right. Hey. If you like our show, for (laughs) despite that last joke, uh, (laughs) then follow us on Instagram, which is at Cult Podcast, or on Twitter at Cult Podcast Show. You can also send us an email to suggest a cult just like this one uh, to Cult Podcast Show at Gmail dot com. Or if you want to send us cans or a can opener that you found for less shipping, you can do that at 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number 237, like Like the the Shining, Los Angeles, California, 90065. And you can find that address and our email address and a bunch more information on our website, which is cultpodcastshow.com. Com. And speaking of Los Angeles, we're having a live show! Yes! We're doing a live show at Geeky Tees and Games in Burbank, California on Tuesday, August 27th. If you haven't been, it's super cool. It's basically a show space in the back of a comic book store and tabletop gaming oh, yeah. place. That's also a cat rescue. Oh, nice! Yay! Does this mean we have to pet cats? Yeah, there are kitties there. Oh my god! Yeah, yes. it's a great, awesome place, and you might be asking yourself, why the fuck are they doing it on a Tuesday? It's because that is our two-year anniversary. Two years! Oh, I thought it was because the club was going up. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be doing it on Tuesday, August 27th at 7.30 p.m. If you want to come out to this, tickets are $10 or $15 at the door, but we highly recommend getting them in advance. And you can find those on our website at cultpodcastshow.com slash Burbank. Or you can go to cultpodcastshow.com and head over to the show's page. Come hang out with us and pet kitties and do nerd nerd stuff. Yeah, it's going to be a swell time. Plus, you'll get uh, to buy all of our merchandise if you wanted to. Yay, because it'll be there. Yep, yep, yep. Meow. (laughs) Meow. Maybe we'll bring a birthday cake of some sort. (gasps) You'll just have to come and see. It has buttercream frosting with LSD in it. (laughs) It's Kool-Aid flavored filling. Uh, It'll be great. So come on out, celebrate our two-year anniversary with us, and see our live show. It's going to be a blast. Mm -hmm. And I think for this one, I'm going to say Kool-Aid now, Kool-Aid tomorrow, (laughs) Kool-Aid forever. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye. Big ass can openers. <laughs> the future. <laughs>